Thanks for joining us in our study of the letter to the Galatians. It is in this scripture we're reminded that the gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. The truth of the gospel, that Jesus is better, should change our thinking and approach to absolutely everything. Cornerstone exists to proclaim and demonstrate Christ in all of life so as to make people perfect in him. Uh, We're here in Galatians 5. We're going to read verses 16 to 26, and then we will go to the Lord in prayer. So if you will now, please look at verse 16. Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, we come now and we ask you to be active with us this morning. Speak to us. uh, Help us to understand that we cannot live the Christian life on our own. We have to recognize truth, things that are true because you have died. We then have to go out and live those truths, recognizing that we're dependent on you for every aspect of our life, every moment of sanctification, every good thing that happens. I pray that we will be reminded of that, encouraged by that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today, uh, as I said, is our last day here in Galatians chapter 5. It's also our last Sunday studying the topic of what it means to walk by the Spirit. We've kind of been doing a little mini-series here in Galatians on that point. And I really do hope that uh, this study has been helpful for you. My goal along the way has has been to try to clear up some of the clutter and ambiguity I feel is out there around this topic and to help you appreciate the the little things of the Spirit, which hopefully now you know aren't so little. They're really the main things I think we see on a daily basis. I want you to understand and appreciate them. And if you recognize those now, then I think I'd be satisfied that we've accomplished our purpose. Uh, Over these past two Sundays, we have focused in on these two different lists that Paul gives us here in chapter 5, where he is comparing and contrasting what it looks like to live your life in the flesh versus living your life in the Spirit here in verses 19 to 21. We saw the things or the kinds of things that the flesh wants to do, and it, you know, it's not pretty. And I think I'd be safe in betting that as we all looked at that together, there wasn't a single person in the room who probably could not identify with one or more of the things that are mentioned in that list as things you struggle with. But even if for some reason that wasn't you know, your sin, your main sin struggle is not in that list, you're not exempted from this because as you saw, he ended that list by saying, and things like these. So that means that every sin and every type, every form, every version of it all comes back to being a work of the flesh. And before I move on, let's just again remember 
the key word there is the word work, because by using that word, Paul is putting the focus and the emphasis on us right there. We are the ones who are actively engaged in doing these things, and so focus is on us there, so to speak. Whereas in verses 22 to 23, we see the kinds of things that the Spirit does in our lives. And here he uses the word fruit, meaning that those traits and those uh, things that we read there are not ours. This is produce, outflow, things that God is doing in us through his Spirit, not, not because of us or not through us. And all of this is a part of that battle that Paul mentioned in, in verse 17, where you've got the desires of the flesh that are against the Spirit. And the desires of the spirit that are against the flesh. And these are just contrary to one another. It's a battle. It's a war. It's a war raging within our very souls on a daily basis. And there is no expectation, should be no expectation on our part, that this war is going to end prior to glory. Prior to the day that you see Jesus face to face, you should expect that this battle will continue and you will not be free of it until then. So then, if that's the case, how do we live going forward from this point? That's the question I want us to finish with here in Galatians 5. And I want to provide three very simple answers to that question. Simple and as yet you'll see kind of complex. First, we need to crucify the flesh, okay? We need to crucify the flesh. And note that I'm stating this as a command, as an imperative. Crucify the flesh Whereas Paul here states it as being just sort of a present reality, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Have crucified. It's already done. And when I read that, two questions come to my mind. Number one, what does this mean? Well, we have to start by recognizing here that Paul is looking back to something. To, to some moment in our past that he sees as being very significant that has made this a reality for us. Uh, you see that not only here, but also in his comment back in chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Uh, and that's, of course, again, referring to some kind of a completed action, something that happened in the past that is still true and is still bearing fruit or having some effect on our lives today. And I think as you look through the rest of verse 20 here, it becomes very clear what moment of time he's talking about. He's talking about our salvation. Because now, he says, Christ lives in us. Now the life that we're living by faith is, is by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, a reference to the gospel. So this is salvation that he's describing here. So what he's saying then is that at the moment of salvation, we were crucified with Christ. And this is confirmed for us by looking at another uh, passage, probably the classic passage on this particular topic, the one that Chris read a few moments ago, Romans chapter 6. I'm not going to put it on the screen behind me. Just listen to what Paul says here in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And as readers, when we hear this you know, rhetorical question, what should probably stand out to us is the news that we died. We died because some of us are going to read that and we're going to go, really? We're going to be like uh, Mark Twain, was it when the New York Journal published his obituary? He was still alive and so he issued that famous quote, the news of my death is greatly exaggerated. You know, it's gonna, that's kind of how I think we feel. Really, Paul, we're dead? Did we really die? Well, I think sensing those questions, Paul continues, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And again, 
Let's just pause and think about that statement for a moment. He acts here as if every believer should understand this truth. Don't you know? Weren't you aware of this fact that everyone who has been baptized into Christ Jesus has been baptized into his death? And I've said this in the past when we've talked about this passage, but I'll remind you again today, when I read the word baptized here in Romans chapter 6, I don't get the sense of, of water baptism, as that being what he's talking about here in this particular passage. In Greek, the word baptizo simply means to submerge or to immerse. And when there's no context given or there's no qualifiers given about it, you should expect that it's probably going to be related to water or some other liquid or whatever, okay? Here, though, we are given a qualifier. We were baptized into Christ Jesus, as if we are submerged or immersed into him, as if we are made one with him. And that's what I think Paul is referring to here, our union with Christ. Don't you know that your life has been hidden in Christ? Don't you understand that you are now one with him? Aren't you aware of the fact that you have been united with Christ? And this is so real, so tangible, that if you have been baptized into Christ Jesus, Paul says here, then you've also been baptized into his very death. Because he died, you died. Because he was crucified, you were crucified. So, for example, when you read Mark chapter 15, verses 21 to 39, the crucifixion story, as Mark tells it, there's a sense in which you can read that and go, that's me dying. I'm dying with Christ. That is how real our union is with him. You have died with him. You've been baptized into his death. Don't you know that? Isn't that clear? Well, then based on that truth, Paul continues. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know, notice the certainty, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. All of that other stuff, came out of the fact that we have been crucified with Christ. It happened. I mean, his death has become our death, just like his resurrection has become our resurrection. We've been crucified with him. That's, that's why Paul states it the way he does here in Galatians. It's a present reality. It's just who you are. It's not a command. If you're in Jesus, you have been crucified. All those who belong to Jesus have been crucified. Their flesh has been crucified along with his passions and desires. He is sure of it. That's what this means. But now we come to question number two. And that is, why doesn't that feel true then all the time? Because as you'll note, Paul's focus here in verse 24 seems a bit more focused than being just a general comment about the fact that, you know, we have died with Christ. It's not just that we have died with Christ. It's that we have actually crucified the flesh. That sinful part of us that is not subject to God's law, cannot be, does not want to obey, wants to rebel. 
he says that we have crucified that thing along with all of its passions and desires. So why doesn't that feel true all the time? Well, let me begin by assuring you that it is true. This isn't some separate moment or decision in the Christian life that some people have experienced and others have not, and you're just still waiting to get to that point. No, that's not the case. When you, were, uh, when you became a Christian, when you put your faith in Christ, you were crucified with him. You, your flesh, and its passions and desires, all of it together, crucified with Christ. This is what I emphasized in Romans 6 when I said, we know, again, notice the certainty, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So when we were crucified with Christ, our old selves, our old flesh, was also crucified with him. And to assure you that this is true, let me remind you that one of the desires of the flesh that had to be crucified in order for us to become Christians in the first place was the desire to be accepted by God on our own terms. You know, if I, if I were to go around the room, let's say, and I, like, I took everybody one by one into another room and I said, tell me or give me a definition of the desires and the passions of the flesh. What do you think of when you think of that phrase? My guess is, is that we would not be a very creative group. <laughs> we probably would all name roughly the same things. You know, greed is bad and lying is bad and lust is bad and murder is bad and adultery is bad and whatever and whatever. We probably would have a pretty pretty much in sync kind of a, a listing. I don't know how many people, though, would say to me, self-righteousness is bad. I don't know how many people would say to me, you know, good things done for bad motives. Those are definitely desires and passions of the flesh. And yet my guess would be that the greater danger for the vast majority of people in this world would actually be self-righteousness versus any of the things that you and I might typically put on that list if we were put to the point. I mean, isn't this what Jesus said to the Pharisees? I didn't come to heal those who are well. I came to heal the sick. Like, if you think you're well, Jesus is of no value to you. You know, the adulterer has more hope than the self-righteous person because at least the adulterer knows that they are an adulterer. The murderer has more hope than the self-righteous person, because at least the murderer recognizes, I've done something wrong. I've done something bad, and I need help. The self-righteous person doesn't know that. Sinners can use a savior. The self-righteous can't. Which means, then, that the very first aspect of our flesh that has to die in order, us for, us, in order for us to be saved is that piece of us that wants to be accepted by God on our own terms. I would say that you cannot become a believer until you recognize that you will never be accepted by God on your own terms. It's impossible. It's only when you realize that you have no hope that you actually have any hope. Because as long as you can place your hope in someone or something else, you or whatever, you don't need Jesus. But when you come to that moment where you're like, I have nothing. Jesus, if you are not enough, I, I'm, I'm lost. God, if you won't accept me based on the death of your son, I have no hope. I have nothing to look to now but hell and wrath and damnation. If, if, it, if that's not the point you've reached, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say to you. There's no hope in anything else. No hope in anyone else, not yourself or others. It's only when you come to that 
when you have no hope that you actually find hope. And so if you're a genuine believer, I would say this is the desire of the flesh that has already been crucified in you. This desire to be accepted by God on your own terms, you've had to die in that area. And guess what? If that desire of the flesh has been crucified in you, it's just proof that so have all the others. You say, but Stacy, again, it just it doesn't feel that way sometimes. Look, I know. I get it. Everybody understands that. We all feel those things. But, it, but that doesn't make that statement untrue. Paul acknowledges as much in Romans 6 and 7 after going on and on about all these things that are true, that we have been crucified, that our flesh is crucified, the old man is crucified. What's the very next thing he starts doing? He starts giving commands. Hey, consider yourselves dead then. Hey, then no longer let sin reign in your body. Hey, don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Hey, present your members on the positive side as being instruments of righteousness to God. Hey, don't be a slave of sin. Hey, do be a slave of righteousness. All these commands. And then when you get to the next chapter, that's when he starts going, I'm struggling. The good that I want to do, I don't do. The evil I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? See, the battle continues. Paul feels it. The battle continues. The flesh is crucified, but the battle continues. I think it was Piper. I should have printed off the whole thing. He did a great little like analogy where, where the flesh is like a wounded dragon. It's been mortally wounded. It's dying. And like any animal, when it's mortally wounded, it becomes even more dangerous. Strikes out harder. More fierceness, more anger. Inflicts more damage and pain. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Don't sit and wonder, why am I feeling these ways? Why am I struggling? <laughs> Your flesh has been dealt a mortal blow. It's dying. And it is going to lash out until the very end. And you need to understand that. You, if you are in Christ, your flesh, along with its passions and desires, has been crucified. Now we just have to live that way. More on that in a moment. Uh, second, how are we going to live going forward? Well, we have to keep in step with the Spirit. He says in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, and I'll just pause, that's rhetorical. The assumption is that, you know, it's not a question, it's this is what you're doing. My assumption is you're living by the Spirit. When he says that, I think he means it in the sense of finding our true life before God. You can't live by the law. No one is made right with God by the law. So if you live, it's by faith, by the Spirit. And in a similar way as believers, we're no longer to live our everyday lives in the law, trying to obey it to find our morality. No, we now find all of that through life in the Spirit. So I think in both senses, when he says, if we live by the Spirit, he has all of that in view, our life before God, salvationally, and then sanctification as well. So if that's true of you, if you have found life in the Spirit, then here's what you need to do. You need to keep in step with the Spirit. Now notice here that he didn't say walk. Earlier he said that, verse 16, and as you'll recall, the word walk simply means to live your normal, everyday life. Here, though, he uses a synonym that has a slightly different nuance. Uh, this phrase here, keep in step with, it translates a Greek word that literally means to march to the order of. So you need to picture soldiers marching here, okay? I'm not talking about just soldiers walking, I mean soldiers marching. They're in a parade, or they're on review, or they're going to war, whatever the case. Okay, they're marching left, right, left, right. When they stop, when they're supposed to stop, they start. They'll turn left, turn right, whatever the case may be. Recognize that when soldiers march, they are exhibiting a sense or a picture of order and training, right? They're following the lead of someone. Uh, they're doing whatever they're told. If you think about it then, 
marching is a form of active submission. It's a form of active submission. And that's exactly what this word here is indicating, active submission. If you live your life in the Spirit, then order your steps according to His. When He steps left, you step left. When He stops, you stop. When He goes, you go. When He turns, you turn. Whatever the case may be, keep in step with Him. Live under His control on a daily basis. Make it clear to yourself and others that He is in charge of your life. How do you do that? More on that in a moment. Third, and finally... How do we live going forward? Well, we love one another. Now, I'm providing some interpretation here because he doesn't say love one another in verse 26, does he? He says, uh, don't be conceited, don't provoke one another, don't envy one another. And I think he's saying that specifically because of the Galatian context. I think because of the false teachers who had come in and the groups that had formed as a result of their teaching, plus added to that are the people who are using their freedom as an opportunity for the flesh and all the things that are going on there. There were clearly problems in this church. There's clearly, clearly division and people who are like kind of fighting with one another and whatever the case may be. So I think he's saying it this way, kind of in a negative way. But if I said it in a positive way, it would simply be love one another. Because if you love one another, you wouldn't do these things. You wouldn't provoke and you wouldn't be conceited and you wouldn't envy. So how do you do that? Well, more on that now. Uh, how, how do we live all of this out? That's the question, right? Crucifying the flesh keeping in step with the Spirit, loving one another. I, I'd give you a couple of, two, three things here. First, first is you need to consider these things to be true. You consider these things to be true. It's so the very first thing Paul says in Romans 6, after laying out the truth of our death with Christ, you have to consider yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God. That means that you have to actively pound these truths into both your head and your heart. I think of those who have come back home from war over the years. My dad spent time in Vietnam, uh, two years there. And you know, when you're in a war zone, if you hear a, a, a bang or a pop, a boom, what do you do? You hit the deck, right? Because <laughs> it's a bullet, it's a bomb, it's a mortar coming in, it's something. And so it becomes instinctual. The moment you hear it, boom, everyone hits the ground. Well, that works until you come back home and you're walking down the street one day and you're on a main street and a truck drives by and backfires and next thing you know, you're laying on the sidewalk and everyone around you is sitting there going, what in the world is wrong with that guy? You know? Well, it was instinctual. You heard a pop. You heard a bang. You heard a boom. He hit the deck because that's what you do. And so imagine my father having to come home and say to himself, I'm home now. I'm safe. That was, that was a truck backfiring. I'm home now. I'm safe. That was a truck backfiring. You know what he's doing? He's having to consider himself safe. Consider himself home again. And in a similar way, this is what we have to do in regards to our spiritual lives. The natural inclination of our hearts, of our flesh, is to sin. That's just the natural inclination, what it's just going to do because it's what it does, all right? It's a natural inclination. So if we're going to fight this thing, we have to begin by considering, by actively pounding these truths into our hearts and minds, regardless of how we feel. I am dead to sin. I am no longer under its control. I am free now in Christ. I am dead to sin. I am no longer under its control. I'm free in Christ. I'm not talking about just chanting a phrase. I'm talking about speaking truth to yourself. Because in those moments, all you can hear are the lies. 
All you can feel are the lies. And if you don't stop at that point and speak truth to yourself and actively consider your real position, you're going to be led astray. So we consider these things. It's how we remind ourselves of truth on a constant basis. Second, first we consider. Second, we remember the weapons of our warfare. Because once Paul told them there in Romans 6 to consider these things to be true, the next thing he told them was, okay, now fight. Right? Fight. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body anymore. Fight. Hey, stop presenting yourselves, your members, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Fight. Start presenting them as, as members of righteousness to God. That's how you're supposed to fight. So you're supposed to fight. But remember, the weapons of our warfare are primarily spiritual. And first, it's the scriptures. And I said this to the first service, not in the notes, a little freebie here. You know, there's a weird part of me that, you know, even as a pastor, I almost feel embarrassed sometimes to stand up and say, the answer is read the Bible. Because I feel like there's, like, I should have something better than that. But reality is I shouldn't. It's, that, that's what we have. That's what God has given us, and it's never going to change, and nothing could be better. There's nothing I can innovate here or improve on to make it better for us. No, we need the Scriptures because we cannot fight this battle apart from God's Word. Why? Because the Spirit of God works through the Word of God. He does. He works through the Word. The Spirit always works through the Word. That's why the psalmist writes, Your Word, I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. He wants to be saturated with God's word so that he's not sinning. Or, you know, 2 Timothy 3, all scripture breathed out by God is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If you are going to be active in this battle, then you have to be actively ingesting God's word at every chance you get memorizing it, meditating on it, reading it, listening to it, singing it. I don't care. I don't care how you do it. You've got to be constantly bringing in God's word. You cannot have victory in the battle apart from God's word. Second, prayer. And we undervalue prayer so much. At least I do. I shouldn't accuse you. And I think it that way because I'm like, if I really valued prayer as much as I say I do, I'd pray a lot more often. So the fact that I don't pray as much must mean I really don't value, even though I know things about prayer. I know that prayer is powerful. I know that here. I know, in fact, that it's the most powerful thing I could do at any given moment in any situation of life. Why don't I do it then? What's, my, what's the disconnect that's happening between what I know here and how then I go out and live? But it's true. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You're in the middle of the battle and you're struggling. What do you do? You go to the throne of grace. You have been given a promise that you will find help in time of need. So take advantage of it. Uh, One of my favorite passages, you know this, Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Hey, parents in the room, moms and dads, if your kid came to you today and said, hey, mom, hey, dad, I'm really struggling with sin in this area. Can you help me? Would you not move heaven and earth to the best of your ability to help your child? You are evil. (laughs) Your good father in heaven will do so much more than that for those who come to him. (sighs) 
Do we forget this truth? And we hide from God as if somehow he's going to be angry? No. He loves us. Go to him. Uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. You say, but I've been asking for that yacht for like 10 years and still haven't gotten it. Don't mean that's not in probably God's will for you, okay? So stop asking. That's, I don't know if it's his will or not, but I know this much. I know that being conformed to the image of Jesus is his will for you. I know that you saying no to sin is his will for you. I know that for a fact. I don't know about the yacht, but I can tell you for a fact that those other things are. So go ask him. Go ask him. Repent, confess, ask him for help. And if you know that you're asking according to his will, you are going to have the request that you have asked of him. So pray, pray without ceasing. It really is the most important thing we can do at any moment because it's by these things, by the way, that we keep in step with the Spirit. That's not some mystical, crazy, like hard to figure out thing. You want to know what the Spirit wants you to do? Be in the Word and pray. <laughs> That's it. Be in the Word, saturate yourself with it, and pray. Pray, 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 read, pray, memorize, pray, meditate, read, pray. Okay, there you go. That's the order of events that you have to do. This is how you, you follow his orders. This is how you march behind him. Third, love those around you in the body of Christ. And don't simply love them like you love yourself because Jesus has now given us a higher standard. Love those around you like he has loved you. So, so that means then that, that you're going to give yourself for them. And you're going to serve them, sacrificially even. You're going to pray for them. You're going to encourage them. You're going to forgive them of their sins, regardless of whether or not they deserve it, regardless of whether or not they ever love you back. Love them like Christ has loved you. Folks, I said it. None of this stuff is flashy, spectacular. Like, no one's going to go out of here and like, tweet this, like, I heard the most amazing thing today. I've never heard it. Because <laughs> no, there's no innovation here. There's no, you know, improving on these things. These are the weapons of the warfare that God has given us. And so as we're going out and we're trying to walk in the Spirit, this is what you do. But I promise you this, I promise you this, this will occupy the rest of your life. Those things are there, occupy the rest of your life. I, um, about a month ago now, I was talking with a couple people. and We got talking about the will of God, right? People, when they're making big decisions of life, like, I got to know God's will just really want to know God's will about this or that. And that's fine. I'm not making fun of that because you do. You, and you should pray for wisdom in those moments, totally. But it's always struck me in, in, in that conversation that I'm like, you know what? We're talking about God's will. I have 66 books of God's will sitting on my shelf, printed in English for me to read. And yet, I find that most people who are struggling in that topic are like, they don't, they're like so focused on whatever question they have, they, they forget the, the low-hanging fruit of God's will. It's all out there. You want to really focus on, focus on what's obvious and big. Make that your main emphasis of life and pray for the other things too. God will direct and God will lead. And I think about that in the Christian life. What are the big things we should be focusing on? It's the Scriptures, prayer, love. If you focus on them, I promise you, they will fill every moment of every day. God will work out the other pieces, and you will live a life that is both worthy of and pleasing to God I guarantee it. And so Cornerstone, let's walk by the Spirit in all things, using the things we've seen this morning. Will you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we come now and we ask your help and recognize that we can't do it. We cannot make ourselves like you. We cannot 
change who we are. Only you can do these things in us. And we confess that openly. We, we can't do it. We, we have no hope, and that's why we have hope, because we have you. We have your spirit living within us. And so, Father, help us to crucify the flesh, to turn from it at every, every moment, to be keeping in step with the spirit in your word, constant in prayer, recognizing that these are the tools of grace that you have placed in our lives to change us and make us like yourself. Help us to love one another sacrificially like you have loved us. These things aren't crazy. They're not flashy, and no one's going to go out and be excited necessarily about each individual thing, but we recognize together these are the means by which you change us. And so we ask that you do that. Make us more like Jesus, we ask in his name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more sermons on the book of Galatians and further information on Cornerstone Bible Church, please visit cbcvirginia.com.